Hi there, I'm Tiara Vianne, and this is KJZZ's Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. It's the latest stories from the week, and it's designed to catch you up on some highlights from our community. Thanks so much for listening for the week of November 6, 2023. More people over the age of 50 are becoming homeless for the first time. Shelter staff are also seeing more seniors who appear to have some type of dementia or mild cognitive impairment. Now Maricopa County's largest shelter is starting to screen its older clients for possible neurological disorders. Kathy Ritchie has more. The MOCA takes about 10 minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. It's the last portion of your senior assessment. Mm-hmm. and we only Inside a tiny office at the Central Arizona Shelter Services Building, or CAS, in downtown Phoenix, Primrose Denga is explaining the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, or MOCA, to a 57-year-old man who asked not to be identified in this story. So I'm going to ask you to draw for me a line, starting from 1 to A. The MOCA is widely used to screen for mild cognitive impairment and early signs of dementia. It doesn't diagnose. That requires additional testing, including brain imaging. Typically, the MOCA is used in primary care settings and lists questions and challenges, including drawing hands on a clock, naming pictures of animals, and repeating a list of numbers and words. Historically, it's not used in settings like CAS, a 600-bed shelter, the largest in Maricopa County. That changed in September, when Heather Ross and her team, including Denga, started working with CAS to screen older clients for cognitive impairment. Ross is a professor of health and technology policy at ASU. She says a score of 26 or higher is considered normal. If you score below the 26, then it suggests that you may have some mild cognitive impairment or dementia. At the time of this interview, Ross and team had screened 107 individuals. Of that, she says 91% screened positive for dementia. That is not a diagnosis, it's just a screen, but it is shocking. It is beyond concerning, right? In fact, only six individuals had a score of 26 or higher. Most scored between 17 and 21. And here's the thing. Nobody has ever gone about screening homeless populations for dementia or cognitive impairment before. There are a couple of papers in the literature that have asked people who are experiencing homelessness if they have a diagnosis of dementia. But nobody has ever blanketly screened older adults in shelter before like this. So why now? Philip Scharf is CAS's chief operating officer. I can say with confidence that we are seeing a year-over-year ginormous increase in the 55 and plus population that's experiencing homelessness. From an actual data standpoint, it's well over 30% over the last five years increase. And with an aging homeless population comes myriad cognitive concerns. So what we're seeing in shelter is um, people that are going through acute behavioral health crises. Stemming from all sorts of things, from traumatic brain injury to substance use disorder to dementia. And keeping someone in shelter who's agitated or aggressive can be challenging. So what this is really helping us to better understand is what are the underlying conditions that a lot and what we're finding is a lot of our subset of population have that then helps us to understand why some of those behaviors also may happen. So for Sharf, the MOCA is a starting point, which then will hopefully lead to a diagnosis followed by support and services. 
But here's where reality can get in the way of good intentions. Here's Ross again. So when we started this screening program, there was a real concern that, okay, well, somebody screens positive for dementia. How are we going to get them to a dementia specialist? Because even with private insurance and ample family and community support, it can take weeks or months before getting in to see a specialist. So for this population, it means doing whatever possible to keep them safe. One way to do that is to get them out of a mass shelter. And that's just what happened late last month. Lisa Glow is the CEO of CAS. We're really grateful that we can get 60 of our most vulnerable seniors into a hotel where they have their own rooms versus staying with hundreds of other people in a mass shelter. It really makes a huge difference. When it comes to everything, from their physical health to possibly their MOCA score. Scharf says everyone who moved in was screened for dementia. In another month, they'll be rescreened. Because that helps us to better understand the impact of not only congregate shelter, um, but the true impact on congregate shelter as it relates to our 55 and over population, which is vulnerable and vulnerable and vulnerable. And there's perhaps an even bigger question Ross hopes to answer. Is cognitive impairment and dementia, is that an independent risk factor for older adults becoming homeless? More research and time will hopefully tell, but given the spike in senior homelessness, answers can't come soon enough. Kathy Ritchie, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In Tribal Natural Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation, more than 60 miles east of Phoenix, within the Tonto National Forest near the town of Superior, Oak Flat has been a site of legal battles and court cases, but it turned into a spiritual hub over the weekend. Gabriel Pietrazio traveled there to witness a sacred gathering. The Apaches sang, blessed themselves, and burned tobacco before letting their settler siblings, as they say, walk around their campfire in a circle twice, welcoming them from all walks of faith, Mennonites, Baptists, Evangelical Christians, Jews, and other denominations. Those songs tell about how the soul travels to God's house and how to pray through instruments. The drums represent the universe. When you hear them pounding, it's the thunder. The sticks are the lightning. When it hits, it creates the sound. Boom, boom, boom. Apache Stronghold founder Wensler Nosey Sr. invited this flock of non-native faithfuls to fix the broken basse, or hoop, caused by the sins of colonialism. And that gap is all the people who have come here. So today represents a birth, a healing, a new beginning. And we want to thank you for coming in the way you did. Bound together by a common belief in the Creator, a national interfaith coalition united on Saturday, a day filled with lots of singing and praying underneath the shade of trees bearing acorns, Oak Flat is a holy site where the Apache believe the Gan, or mountain spirits, reside. It's also where they've performed sweat rituals and coming-of-age ceremonies for generations. There are deities, angels, that live here. You're sitting very close to it. Their way of life is now in danger. 
from copper mining. The world's two largest foreign-owned mining companies, Rio Tinto and BPH, are trying to extract minerals through the Resolution Copper Project. It's supposed to create about 3,700 jobs eventually and boost Arizona's local economy by $61 billion over six decades. But, Nosey says extracting the copper deposits buried more than a mile beneath sacred lands can sever that relationship with the mountain spirits. He added it's essential for indigenous religious practices to be seen as equally authentic to other faiths. Navajo, Thana Otham, and tribal allies spoke to faith leaders who traveled to the Southwest to gain a deeper understanding, while dozens of congregations nationwide coalesced in spirit from afar. Seeing you all out here gives me hope for my little one right here with their sister. Because that's who we're fighting for. Morgan Frejo, who has Navajo ancestry, was one of them. She doesn't have a voice just yet to tell these, these company over here not to destroy her water, destroy her air, destroy her life, her sister's lives. He told their guests to open their hearts, minds, and also to stop and listen. But not only just to us, listen to the wind. Take that moment, you hear that wind come through. Pause, reflect. Recently, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard the Apache Stronghold's case after a prior court ruling against them. This is not an Apache fight. As Nosy puts it, It's a fight for religion. Because once the United States wins this court case, then it's the precedence that is set across this country. That's why the Apache stronghold is now soliciting help from other religious groups. Angela Wu Howard traveled to Oak Flat as a senior law fellow at the Beckett Institute. It's an academic project for the nonprofit Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. That D.C.-based law firm represents Apache stronghold in their ongoing legal battle. If we lost in the Ninth Circuit, we would have to appeal to the Supreme Court. She asked faith leaders to back them by filing amicus briefs should the Supreme Court one day take up their case. And the more diverse the voice, really the better. For now, the fate of Oak Flat remains uncertain. But this rising group of religious activists, together with the Apache stronghold, are turning to the power of prayer and song. For KJZZ News, I'm Gabriel Pietrazio, reporting from Oak Flat. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Thanks for listening. In education news, State Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn wants Arizona schools to keep Amnesty International and UNICEF off their campuses. This comes after the organization's distributed materials critical of Israel at a student club meeting. From our education desk, Bridget Dowd reports. The materials were presented to about 60 students at Desert Mountain High School in Scottsdale last week. The pamphlets support Palestinians in Gaza and accuse Israel of human rights violations. Horn claims the presentation led to Jewish students feeling unsafe and that some of the materials included false information. I have no authority to tell the schools what to do on this, but I I advise them to keep Amnesty International and UNICEF out of their literature, the clubs out of their schools. They generate anti-Semitism among impressionable young people. Adam Brooks is a parent of a Desert Mountain student. He says there was an effort by some students to stop or revise the presentation, but it was not successful. I do think that there was adult 
review, but the review was not accurate or thorough or detailed enough to prevent misinformation and propaganda from being shared. He says parents received letters about the incident, but he doesn't feel the response has been satisfactory and that there should be more accountability. Bridget Dowd, KJZZ News, Phoenix. Now from KJZZ Original Productions. It's the holiday season, but are we starting too soon? Here's the show co-host, Mark Brody. Don't you dare call Robert Pala a Scrooge. He loves Christmas, but everything has a place. And for Pala, it's just too soon. It's Christmas time. Well, uh, I mean, it's the first week of November. But anymore, as we all know, Christmas begins a couple of weeks before Halloween, even earlier. I'm old, so I remember when the lead-up to Santa's big day began just after Thanksgiving. That's when it was safe to start planning your holiday shopping list or order the turkey for December 25. You could buy a plastic Christmas tree or a box of shiny brights. But these days, we can find these things sharing shelf space with Halloween costumes and bags of fun-size Snickers. I spotted my first lighted-up fake spruce pine in a front window the other day. My Facebook feed is full of photos of my friend's holiday decor. There's a term for this, Christmas creep. Merriam-Webster has added the phrase to its words we're watching list. That's never good. I get it. Thanks to e-commerce, more retailers need more early marketing of more holiday junk. But maybe it's not retail's fault. Maybe we've just grown impatient for more of the good stuff. Post-pandemic life has been more challenging for a lot of people. I think many of us need more jolly times more often. Sooner, I have a particular reason for not loving this Christmas creep, for this trend in backing up the holiday season into autumn. It's that I don't like Christmas. I love Christmas. I put up five artificial trees every December. I bake dozens of bell-shaped cookies and mail out hundreds of holiday cards. I have gift-wrapping themes each year. I'm that guy. So you'd probably think I'd be happy that Christmas keeps getting extended, that every year it seems to start sooner, that pretty soon I can look forward to buying the latest Christopher Radko glass tree topper in July or listening to that all-day Christmas music station beginning in September. But I need for the Yuletide season to have a shelf life. I want it to be a season, not half of the fiscal calendar. I want October to be full of anticipation. Seventeen more days until I get to unpack the nativity scene my mother made out of old bedsheets. Two weeks until it's time to watch the Sebastian Cabot remake of Miracle on 34th Street. And the truth is, please forgive me, Johnny Mathis, I grow weary of playing Christmas records after a couple weeks, a month of eating stolen and nibbling Yule logs, and I'm yearning for a green salad. I'm tired of watching my Rudolph DVD and feeding my fruitcake. Besides, Christmas is less Christmassy when it turns up while I'm still wearing shorts and complaining about triple-digit temperatures. And I'll tell you a secret— I'm worried about something else this holiday season. Last week at a big box store, I spotted a pair of plaster Easter Bunny statues. They were wearing Santa suits. It felt like a warning or a threat.
For KJZZ, I'm Robert Pela. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. In business news, some Phoenix leaders are pushing for more security along the city's light rail line. As Christina Estes reports, Valley Metro is responsible for light rail operations. Valley Metro uses private security to enforce code of conduct and inspect fares. Councilman Jim Waring says having guards ride in random cars isn't enough. We could put people on the platforms, which might make it a less attractive place to be basically a nuisance and trying to jump on the train and maybe cause havoc at the station and then perhaps in the neighborhoods. During a recent six-week period focused on light rail security, Phoenix police arrested more than 100 people for trespassing, drugs, and outstanding warrants. In a memo to the city council, Valley Metro said it's working to identify improvements in lighting, safety, and access. Next month, the council's expected to discuss conceptual design alternatives and costs to control access at light rail stations. Christina Estes, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In science news. The CDC says cases of syphilis among newborns have risen more than tenfold in the past decade. Nine out of ten of those cases were likely preventable. Arizona's statewide outbreak has seen a 450 percent rise in syphilis cases since 2015. From our Arizona Science Desk, Nicholas Gerbis reports. While newborn syphilis cases are increasing overall, babies born to Black, Hispanic, or American Indian Alaska Native mothers were up to eight times more likely to have newborn syphilis in 2021. Dr. Laura Bachman, chief medical officer and CDC's Division of STD Prevention, says it's vital to remember that stemming the tide doesn't end with testing. Over half of newborn syphilis cases in 2022 happened when people tested positive for syphilis during pregnancy, yet did not receive timely and complete treatment. To help close that gap, CDC says providers should treat pregnant women they believe have syphilis before test results are available. The agency also called for better-funded public health that can expand testing to ERs, syringe programs, and maternal health initiatives, especially among groups facing barriers to receiving health care. Nicholas Skirbis, KJCZ News, Phoenix. And finally, in Fronteras News. The Arizona chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, says its annual event will continue as planned this month, but at a new location. That after the event was canceled by the hotel scheduled to host it in Mesa. From our Fronteras desk in Tucson, Elisa Resnick has more. This year's Carrie Z event is scheduled to host Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, an outspoken critic of Israel's ongoing bombardment in Gaza. A petition began circulating that called on the Sheraton Hotel in Mesa to drop the event. Aza Abusef with Care AZ says that's when she got in contact with the hotel and the Mesa Police Department. We were trying to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row in case someone does call the hotel and make a threat. Abusef says the hotel's manager called to say it would no longer be hosting because of threats received, but would not elaborate. A spokeswoman with Mesa PD says the police were alerted to two suspicious contacts to the hotel. Hotel management did not respond to requests for comment. Abusef says the event now has a new venue, but declined to give specifics. Elisa Resnick, KJZZ News, Tucson. And this has been the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast, made possible in part by Helios Education Foundation and Alliance Bank, the Vitalist Health Foundation, the Intel Corporation and Beach Fleischman, the Arizona Community Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Thank you for listening to KJZZ and for your generous support. I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ, your news and information station. 